Well, good morning. Welcome each and, each and every one of you this morning. What a joy it is to be together as the body of Christ. And uh, we're going to continue to follow the star. We're on a journey as we draw closer and closer to Christmas. We want to follow the star on a journey to Christmas. And I pray that this last week, <clears throat> that it was filled with hope for you. There was, there was hope in your life knowing that even though from last week's message there is darkness in our world, but that we as followers of Jesus, we can actively wait for his return, that we have a responsibility in this life, and as we actively wait, that we commit to the journey to be a part of what God is calling us to be a part of. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at this idea of a journey to love. A journey to love, and we've discussed this before, that as humans, we've kind of messed this up, haven't we? That we, we kind of throw that word around, that it's a word that means so many different things in so many different contexts. In fact, uh, we hear the word used in sentences like, I love pizza, which I do, I, I really do love pizza. But then we also hear that phrase, uh, phrases like, I'm falling in love. Or maybe at times there's people that justify their lack of faithfulness in a marriage and their immorality. And then you hear phrases like, I'm falling out of love. And unfortunately, our distorted human version of love sometimes causes us to misunderstand God's love. And for many people in the world, it kind of goes like this. If you were raised in a home where you had a father that wasn't very loving towards you, then that oftentimes can affect how you see God and his love. Or the same is true maybe for an unloving mother. And so our view of love sometimes gets impacted by the concept and the idea of the love that we see in our world. And we oftentimes carry what love we see in our world, and we carry that over to God's love. So my desire, as we journey to love this morning, is to see God's love for what it truly is. The love that we see found in his word. And I want, us to, cha I want to challenge us to love the very same way that he calls, that he loves, that we would also love that very same way. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, you are holy, you are mighty, you are worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. And as we come together as your children, it's not about hearing a sermon. It's not about uh, just feeling like we've checked a box. But God, it's about coming into your presence as family. And we want to hear from you, God. We want to imagine ourselves kneeling before your throne and you proclaiming your word to us. And so may we hear your word this morning in that very way. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Once again, welcome this morning. We want to welcome those of you online joining together as the body of Christ. And as we looked at the promise of hope last week and the, the promises of joy and peace in the next few weeks, I want to remind us that these promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And all of these promises are motivated by God's everlasting, steadfast, unfailing, never-ending love for each and every one of you. 
And so more than anything, I want us to take time this morning to reflect on God's amazing love for us. And so we're going to begin by reading one of the most familiar, most quoted verses in the Bible. And I can imagine that you could guess what that might be this morning. Any guesses? Yes, John 3.16. But I want us to read this verse today in a way that we open ourselves up to maybe hearing it in a new and fresh way from God. That we would see something new this morning, that we may be able to see or hear something new that we haven't seen or heard before. And so if you want to turn over to John chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Can I get an amen on that? That's exciting to me. That kind of gets my blood flowing a little bit to think about the fact that the world we live in is not the most enjoyable, but this is not all that we have to look forward to, that God so loved us that he sent his one and only son. And that's the hope that we have from last week. It's the hope that God had planned from the very beginning, from creation, that Jesus would be a part of the rescue plan to bring us back into relationship with him, the creator of the universe. It's the nuts and bolts of the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that we don't have to be slaves to sin any longer. That we, that we have something so much better to look forward to than this COVID-filled life. Amen? Amen. It's just... There's so much more to look forward to. So I want us to dig a little deeper into this verse and several other verses this morning and draw the meaning out behind the phrase, for God so loved. I want us to see three descriptions of God's love that come to light this morning. And the first is that God's love is self-sacrificial. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we see glimpses of that in our world, don't we? We see glimpses of that kind of self-sacrificial love. Maybe it's the mom who spends hours upon hours preparing a meal for her family and she is the one that waits to be served very last. Or maybe it's the nurse that works a double shift up at the hospital because the hospital is overrun with COVID cases. And I think about the glimpse of sacrificial love that I saw in Lynn and Ray Roberts. Perfect strangers. Back in 2016, my family and I took our truck and our camper on a maiden voyage up to Landusky, Montana, to Little Rockies Christian Camp. And on the way there, we stopped here in Casper for the night, and, and then we filled up our gas tank, our fuel tank. And, and in my mind, I've always been able to make it from, Billing, from Casper to Billings. Well, that doesn't necessarily work when you're pulling 13,000 pounds behind you. 
And so as we're heading to Billings, I'm slowly seeing the gas gauge go down and down and down. Pretty soon the light comes on, and I'm hoping my wife doesn't see that the light came on because we are nowhere near a gas station. And I'm getting nervous, and I'm sweating, and we're heading up the big hill that leads up to before you go down into Billings, and the 7.3-liter diesel is going, you know, pulling. And I'm like, come on, baby, Lord God, please help us make it to the top. I mean, that's what I'm praying and we make it halfway up the hill, and sure enough, the engine cuts out, and we pull off to the side, and it's it, late August, early September. It's hot out. We only we have seven kids at the time, and, and uh, the only thing I can think to do is get out and start walking. We're about 10 miles away from Billings. And so I leave my wife, who's not the happiest at the moment, to be left in the car. I thought with only seven kids, what's the big deal? We have eight now. I mean, it's only seven, but she wasn't overly excited to be there. And so I start walking and I start praying. And within a minute or so of me walking, another F-350 around the same year, 2000 or so, pull in. They're pulling a cargo trailer. And this couple, Ray and Lynn Roberts from Atlanta, Georgia, say, what's wrong? I say, well, I've ran out of gas. You know, I'm I'm new to this whole diesel truck thing. And they're like, well, is it gas or diesel? I'm like, well, actually, it's diesel. And they're like, well, we have 10 gallons of diesel, but they had been, they're had they already quite a ways down the road. And so they were going to, they say, come on, get in. And so I get in, and the turnaround was all the way into Billings. So we go 10 miles into Billings and 10 miles back to the, the truck, and we put the, the fuel in, and it starts to kind of sputter and start. And, but then I don't give it, you know, I don't baby it long enough, and then it shuts off and it air locks up. And I see this kind of sacrificial love play out, a glimpse of that kind of sacrificial love and, and Lynn and Ray as they spent the next three hours with us. Perfect strangers. They just met us on the side of the road. Three hours driving in and out, getting a wrench. I don't have the right tools to pull off the fuel filter cap and, and all this stuff that we're trying to get to work. They go in and take my kids to McDonald's. And, and three hours later, they finally say, hey, you're more than welcome to come to our house in Georgia anytime, and we did. We, we spent some time there with them, and we have lifelong friends because of their sacrificial love to take time out of their schedule as they're traveling from Georgia to Billings for a show to take time for us. You see, we see glimpses of this kind of sacrificial love, but nothing in this life compares to the fact that God loved us so much that he was willing to give his one and only son, his one-of-kind, unique son, Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we measure love by what we're willing to give up. And marriage is a perfect example of this. There are things that I have given up in my life because I love my wife, and at the very top of that list is ever getting to be right. Amen? All right? I've had to give that up. It's, just, it's okay. I don't mind. But other things like, you know, cutting out video games early on in our marriage. Or uh, there were times where I was in several rec league basketball leagues. And so to cut those out. And those are not difficult things to cut out. But I love my wife. And, and so I want to make sure that she knows that she's a priority. And so we give up things in order to show people that we love them. And for many of you, you've experienced that. You've given up different things. In fact, may, many of you each and every day give up staying in bed 
so that you can get up and go to work, so that you can provide for your family members. And love can be measured by what we are willing to give up. And God's self-sacrificial love was showcased when he gave his son, Jesus Christ. Doesn't that blow your mind? To think about that as a, as a parent, I can hardly even begin to imagine or fathom the kind of love that God had for us when he was willing to give of his son. And I jokingly oftentimes say, well, I have eight kids. If I lose one, no big deal. I still have seven left over type of thing. But God gave his one and only son. His son that from the very beginning was in a perfect relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit and yet God gave, God the Father gave willingly his son Jesus to the world. The same world that turned its back on this great loving God. The same world that spit in his face, that rebelled against him. The same world that crucified the son of God on a cross. And it's, it's hard to understand that kind of self-sacrificial love it took for God to send his son Jesus. But he did. He did send his son Jesus and it's easy for us to celebrate this time of year the birth of a baby because, I mean, who doesn't love to celebrate the birth of a baby? They're fun, they, they coo, they giggle, they give you, you know, little smiles, and their skin is so soft. I just love baby skin. I, I love their small little toes. I just like to chew on their little... Okay, um, but I just love babies. I, I love Berkeley. She's almost five months old. She's so fun to be around. It's easy for us to celebrate Christmas because we get to celebrate the birth of a baby. But we can celebrate the birth of baby Jesus to the point that we forget that he grew up. We don't ever want to think about Christmas without also thinking about the cross. Because without the cross, Christmas loses its meaning. See, God gave Jesus... To take our punishment for sin, which is death, in order that we may have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we need to remember at this time of year. And we, each and every one of us, need to preach that message. We need to proclaim that. We need to share that. Not only just at Easter and Christmas, but everywhere in between. God loves self-sacrificially but what about us? There, there's no way that God could ask us to love the same sacrificial way that he loves, is it? Is there? I mean, that doesn't even, that doesn't make sense. And yet, I think if we ask Abraham of the Old Testament, he would have a different answer for us. If you want to turn over to Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, and let me give you a little bit of a storyline of what's going on behind the scenes prior to Genesis chapter 2. God had made a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant included the promise that Abraham would have many descendants. He would be the father of a great nation. He, his descendants would be greater than the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky, and yet as time continued on, Abraham, there's no descendant. And it's not until he's 100 years old and, and Sarah, his wife, is 90 years old 
that their firstborn, Isaac, comes onto the scene. And can you imagine how happy Abraham and Sarah must have been to finally receive the beginning of that promise? Because that's what Isaac was. He, he was that promised son, the son that Abraham dearly loved. And he's the beginning of that fulfillment. And then we find Genesis chapter 22. God calls Abraham to take Isaac, the promised son, the son that he dearly loves, and tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering. And just reading this passage here in Genesis 22, it kind of disturbs us emotionally, doesn't it? Why, Why would he ask that? Why would he put Abraham and Sarah through that? And if you look at verse 1, we see that it was a test. Chapter 22, verse 1, it says God tested. And, and for us, that okay, that makes us feel a little better. But what about Abraham? He didn't know any different. All he knew was that God was calling him to give something up in his life, something that he cherished dearly. And as we read through the passage, you have to wonder what is going on in Abraham's mind as he's contemplating having to sacrifice His son, but not only having to sacrifice his son, being the one to have to sacrifice his son. To be the one to actually kill his son. If you look at verse 9 of Genesis chapter 22, it says, When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham was called to love God sacrificially. Abraham was asked to give up one of the, if not the most important thing to him in his life. And Abraham said, God, here I am. I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. No matter what it is, you're the one that I want to follow. You're the one that I serve. No matter what you ask of me, I'm willing to do it. Abraham's love for God was measured by what he was willing to give up for God. And the same is true for us today. How much do you love God? Well, it's measured by what you're willing to give up for God. Are you willing to love God self-sacrificially no matter what is asked of you? If God asked you, would you be willing to give up a a good paying job to go across the world and be a missionary in a third world country? If God asked you to, would you be willing to to give up your friends that oftentimes have a negative impact on your life? If God asked you to, would you be willing to give up a hobby that has really taken up the number one priority? slot in your life if God asked you to would you be willing to give up your cell phone 
Whoa, now that's getting a little. That's getting a little uh, toe tap stepping on th- at that point. Yeah, what if God asked you to give up your cell phone because it's causing you to be distracted all the time? It's causing you to to not have the relationship that God wants you to have with Him. See, God was willing to love us self-sacrificially by giving up his one and only son. And just like Abraham, God is calling each of us to live a life of self-sacrificial love. Is God truly the number one thing that you love more than anything else in your life? I pray that he is. Because God's love is is not only self-sacrificial, but it's also strong. Again, if you're taking notes this morning, I I write down again, God's love is self-sacrificial and God's love is strong. As you look again back into John verse 316, chapter 3 verse 16, we read, For God so loved the world, and then it also says, Whoever believes... So if you see that, it's the world. God loves, God's love is a strong love. Because it's a love that loves any and everyone, including the unlovable. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. Paul is speaking to the church in Rome. He says, you see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. While we were still sinners, Christ died died for us. God's love is so strong that he was willing to send Jesus to die for us even when we were still sinners, ungodly, hostile towards God. And that's every single one of us. We've all been in that scenario. And in so many ways, I personally am unlovable, but God pushes. God's love pushes past my filth, My brokenness, my sin, and my poor decisions. And God's love says, I'm still going to send my son to die for you, Charles. And I don't know about you this morning, but that breaks my heart. And it gives me goosebumps all at the same time. We as humans are willing to love those who love us. But God is willing to love those who hate him. And that's the strength of God's love. God loves you. Not because of anything you are or anything that you've ever done. But God loves you because of who he is. And we're reminded in 1 John 4, 8, where it tells us that God is love. That is who he is. The fact that God loves the unlovely, the fact that God loves those who hate him, proves the strength of his love. And we don't have to doubt if God loves us. 
Because he's proven his love for you once and for all by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to die in your place for your sins. And if that doesn't change you this morning, I don't know what will. And I'm praying that even this morning, that if there's one here that has never really received God's love in their life, that the Holy Spirit is, is drawing you, if that's you this morning, to himself. That the Holy Spirit is using this gospel message, this simple message, to draw you to, your, to himself. And if you're here and you don't know that love, I want you to know that it's not too late. That Christ died for you, that while we were still sinners, while we rejected God in our lives, Jesus still came to die for us. No matter where you're at in your relationship with God, no matter what you think you've done, that there's no way that God can forgive you for it, God's love is stronger than that sin that separates you from him because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But it's up to you to receive that gift of love. And as Christians, it's up to us to show that love as well. It's through the strength of the Holy Spirit that God empowers us to love this very same way. And you say, there's no way. That, that, that can't be possible. How is it possible that I can love the same sacrificial way that God loves? There's no way I have that strength within me. And God says, you're wrong. It's kind of like when my kids argue with me. And I just say, well, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. I know more than you. And God is saying the same thing to us this morning when he says, you can love the very same way that I love. In fact, Jesus says to his followers in Matthew 5, verse 44, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then down to verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? I mean, doesn't the average human, aren't they willing to love those who love them? And Jesus is contrasting godly love with human love. And our tendency is to, to only love those who love us, but God challenges us. When Jesus makes, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, that's when you can begin to love through the Holy Spirit's power, the same way that God loves you. You can love those who hate you. You can love those who mistreat you. You can love those who seem so unlovable. If this is something that you're struggling with this morning in your walk with God, it doesn't mean that you're the worst person in the world. It doesn't mean that you're a complete failure as a Christian. It just means that it's something that God wants you to work on. It means that God wants you to get into his word and, and to pray about it, to seek God's strong love in your own life so that that love may pour and overflow into the lives of those around you. You see, this morning, we're not just called to experience and enjoy the strength of God's love, but we're called to extend it. It's not just something that we receive as a gift and then we sit on it and we hold on to it ourselves. 
But it's something that God wants us to share into the lives of the people around us. And when we love the way that God loves, that's when it really begins to make a difference in the people. That's when the people begin to see Jesus living in and through you. See, God's love is self-sacrificial and God's love is strong and God's love is also steadfast. God's love is steadfast. Now this concept doesn't necessarily come directly out of John 3.16, but as I thought about these other two things that I've highlighted, it just makes sense that I would also share with you this idea that's interwoven all throughout Scripture from the very beginning. You can go back to Exodus verse 34, verse 6, where we read from the English Standard Version. It says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then as you go through Scripture over and over again, we see the steadfast love coming out. And we read again in Psalm verse Chapter 86, verse 5, it says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. God's love is steadfast. And that just means that God's love is never-ending. It never fails. It's never self-seeking. It is unchanging. You say, well, why? Why, why is it never ending why is it unchanging it and the reason is because god's character is unchanging his very nature is unchanging we're reminded in hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 that he is the same yesterday today and forever and in a world that we live in that is full of constant change change is all around us god's love is steadfast. His love remains steadfast yesterday, today, and forever. God's love never fails, it never ends, and it never gives up on you. And as I mentioned earlier, that great steadfast love has been demonstrated once and for all through the gift of Jesus Christ. And as we follow the star and the journey to love this morning, you have a decision to make. What will you do with God's love in your life? His love is self-sacrificial, it's strong, and it's steadfast. And so the question is, will you receive God's gift of love this morning? As the praise team comes, I want to read from Romans chapter 8. Verse 38 through 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God is not going to allow anything to separate us from his love. But the reality of this life is that he gives us a choice. We have to choose. Are we going to receive that gift of love? 
in order that we can share it? Or are we going to reject it? You have to make that decision. Only you can choose that in your life. And so this morning, if you need to receive that gift of love that God is freely giving each and every one of us, we'd invite you to come as we sing. If you need someone to pray with, if you want to make this your church home, we'd invite you to come. Will you stand with us as we sing our song of invitation?